The thunder we could hear in the background while we were singing reminded me of singing in heaven. Well, I shouldn't say reminded me. I've never sang in heaven, but it made me think about singing in heaven where it talks about the voices sound like the rushing of many waters. Won't that be a day? Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 5 through 7 is where we're going to be today as we continue to walk through this wonderful and very applicable book. And this is what these three verses say. If you have raced with men on foot and they've wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you are so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? For even your brothers and the house of your father, even they have dealt treacherously with you. And they are in full cry after you. Do not believe them, though they speak friendly words to you. I have forsaken my house. I have abandoned my heritage. I have given the beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. This is the word of God. You can be seated. And please bow with me while you're being seated. Father, we need your help today. This text will be a uh, sobering one and a very helpful one for those who know you. It will bolster our faith Or for those who don't know you, I pray that the seriousness of the message today would draw them to you, would show them the frailty of life, and would help them to see the error of their ways and to be willing and ready to repent and believe once and for all. Lord, we love you and we thank you for this truth. Help me to preach it well and rightly and lovingly and boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. This message today will be one of those messages that that sets us apart from the seeker-sensitive churches. (laughs) It just will. Um, It is a serious topic that we have to talk about today. And it's a good topic, though, for us. I'll tell you why. Those of us who truly know the Lord, we know that this word is precious and we know that it's our life. We also know that in reading it, believing it, and living it, we are given a robust and and real and, and resolute theology and doctrine that's good for us. And it is the opposite of the false doctrines out there that are perpetuated by those who have teachings that really are just feeble and fickle and frail. And when you have a doctrine that's feeble and fickle and frail, it creates a people who are fickle, feeble, and frail. When you have a doctrine that is real and robust and resolute, guess what? It makes you real and robust and resolute. And we're going to get a healthy dose of some serious truths today. So buckle up. It's good for you. Last week, Jeremiah was asking the questions. He's asking questions about the wicked. If you were here, you might recall. He was looking around. He was wondering why the wicked seem to be prospering. Why are they doing so well, even though they're so wicked? I don't get it. We saw that God has something for us always, especially in the Psalms. The Psalms deal with every human emotion you can ever have, it's been said. We saw that in Psalm 37, in Psalm 73, the 37 and the 73, just flip them, that's where we find what we need 
to get through, to navigate those waters of why is it this way, Lord, sometimes. And he has exactly what we need in the scriptures, as he always does. So if you missed that sermon, please go back and listen to that, especially if you do struggle with why do the wicked prosper. Sometimes it seems, why is that, Lord? Struggle with that? Go listen to next week's, last week's sermon. This week, God answers Jeremiah's questions by focusing him on two things. Number one, the future of his own ministry and the future of the wicked. He deals with the future of Jeremiah's own ministry. He says, I want you to focus on your future here. Don't worry about them so much, but I will tell you what's going to happen to them. Those two things are going to help him persevere through pain, which is why I've titled the message this morning, Persevering Through Pain. This is good for us. This is applicable for us because if you've been in the ministry and the faith at all, you know that it's not always easy. And Jesus never said that it would be. Now, there are people out there telling you it's easy and you're just going to be ushered up into heaven on a bed of roses And if you suffer, if you have any hardship, boy, then there's something wrong with you. And that's just not the truth, as we're going to see today. The three points we're going to cover today are this. I'm just going to go ahead and lay them out to you. We've got three verses. We have three points. Number one, God's servant may grow weary. Number two, things for God's servant may get worse. And then thirdly, but God's servant will win because God wins. That's where we're going today, that's where the text takes us, and that's where the rest of Scripture mirrors and echoes these truths as well. So let's just get right into it. So he's saying, why did the wicked prosper? What's up with this? I don't get it. God answers him with this, two questions. Jeremiah, he basically says in verse 5 here of chapter 12, if you have raced with men on foot and they've wearied you, how will you compete with horses? And if in a safe land you're so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? If you have raced with men on foot and they've wearied you, how will you compete with horses? We're only 12 chapters in to this book. It's the longest prophetic book in the Old Testament, if I'm not mistaken. Not as far as chapters, but as far as words. And already, Jeremiah is wearied. He's already saying, this is hard. I'm not always liking what you're telling me to say, liking what you're telling me to do, God. It's it's been hard. And God's saying, hmm, if you're wearied out already, it's going to get harder. That's what he's saying. We're going to talk about this thicket talk here in just a second. But Galatians 6, 8 and 9 talk about this life as a race. Paul thought about this as um, a race too, which we're going to see in actually Philippians 3. But he does mention the possibility of getting weary here. Galatians 6, 8 and 9, for the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So yes, Christians, We have eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for us. We know we're going to reap that. It's coming. But then he says this in verse 9. Let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we don't give up. That last part 
means that this is contingent on you not quitting. Those who make a profession of faith and then quit Jesus altogether, just throw it all away, this doesn't apply to them because it shows that it was a false profession. Those who are truly in the faith continue going on in the faith with the help of the Holy Spirit, not on our own strength. Oh my gosh, aren't you glad it's not on your own strength? We would fall, we would fail miserably if it was dependent upon us to keep ourselves in. That's why I'm so sad for people that I talk to that have a poor theology which tells them you've got to keep yourself in. I think, poor you. You must be tortured, always trying to do, do, and be, and be. I feel so badly for them, and they are tortured. See, Jesus keeps us. He says, he who has begun a good work in you will complete it. He who has begun a good work in you, he will complete it. It's God working within us and with us. So he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Why would the Holy Spirit encourage him, inspire him to say that if it wasn't possible to grow weary in doing good? It is. It's sometimes tempting and easy to grow weary, especially when you feel like you're alone, like Jeremiah here. He was one of the only voices in his day speaking up for the truth and staying against the wave of wickedness. You can grow weary. If you're in a workplace where you're the lone Christian, if you're in a family where you're the lone Christian, it can be wearisome sometimes, and sometimes you feel like giving up. And he says, don't grow weary in doing good. Look at, look at this, for in due season we'll reap. Life has different seasons. You might be in a hard season. The season of reaping is coming. There's a season of sowing, there's a season of waiting, there's a season of watering, and there's a season for reaping. You're not in that season yet, perhaps, but it's coming, and God is no liar. It's coming for you if you don't give up. So he's saying to him, you're wearied. If you have raced with men on foot and they have wearied you, how will you compete with horses? Is this race talk? Listen to Paul also in Philippians. He spoke this way as well. Philippians 3, 12 through 14. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He knows he belongs to Jesus. And in the context here, he's talking about the resurrection from the dead. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, and this is key for the Christian to have success in his race, forgetting what lies behind the guilt, shame of your past, your enemy wants to remind you of it often and get you to fall and get you to doubt and get you to think, you know, I'm such a loser. Why do I even do this? God's not happy with me because of my past. And he says, you have to forget what lies behind. Forget that. Remember where he took you from with thanksgiving, but don't remember it with a guilt that's paralyzing. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. Look at this. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I I've told you all before that I used to do these obstacle course races. I'm, I'm, 
I'm just going to call myself retired. I just feel like retiring from those. Those were fun. I just don't want to do them anymore. (laughs) They were really hard. And I call myself sort of a metal junkie. The metal, if I don't like how the metal looks at the end of the race, I just don't even sign up for the race. I don't. I'm just like, it's ugly. I don't want it. But when that metal looks really cool and it's really heavy, it's like nice metal, cool colors on it, I do the race for the metal. That's my motivation. That's my prize at the end, really. I think I can remember climbing over this obstacle once, covered in mud, and it was really cold that day, and we were almost done, and my son was doing it with me, and I hadn't had a blue medal yet. I always wanted this blue one. And I remember saying to him at the top of this huge A-frame, I remember saying this, I remember saying, we're about to get that blue medal. I did it for the prize. There was a goal in front of me. It was motivating me to get it, to go, to keep suffering. And he says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, even Jesus, we're told, motivated himself in this way when he was in the flesh. The scriptures say, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Even Jesus, in his human form, looked past the cross to the joy that was coming, being once again united with the Father and the Holy Spirit in union in heaven, being glorified forever by saints and angels. He looked at that through the cross. And for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. And we have to do that as well when we're suffering, when it's hard. We have to persevere through pain. We put something before us, and it's the truth that we're in Christ Jesus, this upward call. God will call us to himself one day. He will, 100%, going to happen for those who are in Jesus. It's going to happen. But he says this next, he says, if in a safe land you're so trusting, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? Now, we don't understand this exactly because we don't live in this area, but the Jordan, as you know, if you've read the Old Testament, there's mention of it overflowing its banks. The Jordan overflows its banks. Well, when it does that, it creates a section, before it goes back down, where it's watered temporarily, It's not watered enough for anything good to grow there, but it's watered enough for just what I call, because I used to be in landscaping, what we call trashy trees. They're these trees that no one really likes. You can't really do much with them, but they create this cover, and they're kind of dense. And Well, that's what happened at the Jordan, too. It created this thick area that wild animals would crouch in and hide in. They would use it to their advantage, animals of pray. Even in Jeremiah chapter 50, it talks about lions crouching and hiding in the thicket of the Jordan. And so he's saying, if you've been so trusting in this safe land, what will you do in the thicket of the Jordan? What will you do when you're having to walk through the thicket where animals of prey are really, in our context, people of prey here are just waiting for you to come by so they can grab you and snatch you up. He's saying, Things are going to get worse, Jeremiah. Things are going to get worse. And listen, this is why we need 
to realize and why we need to grab on to this real, robust, and resolute theology and doctrine that we have in this book because that's what's going to help you be real, robust, and resolute on the day of hardship. And we need Christians like that. We do. You've got to be that way because if you think this culture is just going to get more accepting of you, you're fooled into a lie. They're not getting more accepting. They're getting more hateful of you. Even just people that just believe common sense things now are attacked. So what about when we stand up and stand on the truth? Oh, we're going to be treated just like Jesus was, which he said we would be. And so we've got to have this dense, rich grasp on this dense, rich book because it's going to get harder is what he's saying to Jeremiah. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe said. Each new challenge helped Jeremiah develop his faith and grow in his ministry skills. The easy life is ultimately the hard life. Hmm, what's he mean by that? The easy life is ultimately the hard life because the easy life stifles maturity, but the difficult life challenges us to develop our spiritual muscles and accomplish more for the Lord. You don't build character by being a spectator, he says. You have to run the race with endurance and do it on God's terms. You have to run the race with endurance and do it on God's terms. That last point is, is key. Do it on God's terms. Do God's work in God's way. Verse 6 of our text, Jeremiah 12, 6. For even your brothers and the house of your father... Even they have dealt treacherously with you. Remember, he's revealing to him more of this plan. We saw last chapter, he didn't know that the people of his own town were plotting against him, and God revealed it to him. And now he's revealing, it's not just people of your own town. It's worse, Jeremiah. It's going to get worse, because it's actually people in your own household. Even they don't like what you're saying. Even they want to shut you up. Even they want to hurt you. He says they're in full cry after you. Do not believe them that they speak friendly words to you. When people of your own family, when those whom you love, your own flesh and blood, lie, deceive, turn on you, it hurts worse, doesn't it? It does. Few people can hurt you as badly as your family. Few people have that deep of a connection to you as your family, right? And so that's why it hurts so badly when your family lies to you, betrays you, is ugly to you in some way. It hurts so bad. And we can hurt others so bad in our family too, can't we, when, when, when we're the ones doing those things. But Jesus said this would happen to his followers Jesus said this would happen to his followers. Listen to this, Matthew 10, 34 through 39. So this is nothing new for Jeremiah. It's nothing new in Jesus' day, and it is nothing new for us either. So I'm sharing it with you to help you persevere through pain if you're in a season like this, or if a season like this is coming, or if you've had a season like this in the past and you're still having trouble healing from it. Listen to this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. 
by the way, that was Jesus Christ of Nazareth who said that. It's not just some guy. Jesus Christ of Nazareth said, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Are you catching this? Are you guys catching this? Because this is not the Jesus that's usually portrayed to us through media, through movies, through whatever. That Jesus, he just loves everybody, doesn't he? He just wants everybody to be happy, and he heals everybody, and he just wants everybody just to get along. Truth divides, doctrine divides, and it's supposed to because Jesus divides. Because light can't live with darkness, and truth can't live with lies. For I've come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and whoever does not take his own cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, is Jesus saying he gets pleasure out of breaking families up. Is that what he's saying? Like, I came to split up families. That just my, it's my great joy. No. He's saying, I came to be the truth and the life. And that truth is going to set some people against their own family members. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, it's my mission, it's my goal to make people hate each other. No. He's saying, it's my goal to save people and make them righteous. And guess what? The wicked hate the righteous because their righteousness is light, and that light exposes darkness. And the darkness flees from the light because its deeds are evil. It's like I used to flee from the light because my deeds were evil. I didn't want them exposed. And so he's saying to Jeremiah, it's going to get worse for you. Jeremiah is now a prophet. He no longer has the profession of priest anymore. May have been a bit more cushy job had he stayed there. Maybe. If he compromised like the other guys, it would have been very cushy. But now God's called him to be a prophet. And the role of a prophet was not an easy role back in that day. And just, I mean, have you read the prophets? <laughs> I wouldn't have wanted to be one in that day. I wouldn't have. Romans 5, 2 through 5. Let's look at that. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, what else do we rejoice in, Paul? We rejoice in this hope, yes, in the glory of God. But what else are we supposed to rejoice in, Paul? Tell me. But we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given, who's been given to us. He says, rejoice in your suffering. You suffer as a member of the kingdom. He says, rejoice in that. It's working something good in you. It's working something good in you. What's it working good in me? Endurance. Endurance means you keep on going when it's hard. Endurance produces character. Someone of 
character, those are the ones we want to emulate, those are the ones we want to be around, those are the ones we trust, those are the ones we like, right? He's got such great character, we might say. He's a man of character. Praise God. That comes through suffering a lot of the time for the Christian. And character produces hope. We use this word hope kind of like, I hope so. Don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope so. Not the hope we're talking about. That's an unsure hope. This is a sure hope. It's like, oh, yes, that's coming. That's what I've got my hope in. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't put us to shame. Those who hope in the Lord will not be put to shame. On the last day, nobody's going to say, see, I told you so, Christian, you were wrong. Nope. We won't be put to shame on that day. Our Savior will come and receive us. Why? Because we've received him by faith. We believed that what he did for us on the cross through his death, burial, and resurrection was the payment that was required to absorb the wrath of God on our behalf that should have been ours, should have been ours, should have been ours. But Jesus Christ absorbed it for us. I was just talking yesterday with Monica, and we were talking about, we were, me, Monica, Amy, over coffee, solving all the world's problems. You should have been there. We were talking about everything under the sun. We got it all figured out. Just nobody else was there to hear it, so anyway. But we were talking about wickedness in men sometimes, but it just burns us up, and we want justice for those things, right? And we were saying, well, on the last day, he's going to get justice, this guy. And I said, unless he repents, then his punishment will have fallen on Christ. You see, when we believe the punishment that's supposed to be ours falls on Christ. It fell on Christ. He absorbed it. Had no business falling on him, but he willingly took it. He willingly took it. You don't have another friend like that. You do not have another friend like that. Because there's no other man like that. A sinless Savior. A greater love has a man than him who would lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is calling you. If you don't know him yet, he's calling you as a friend. He wants you to come and believe by faith and receive him. He wants that for you. He wants that for you. And we have a sure hope, those of us who do believe. And that hope is made greater through hardship through suffering it makes it more tangible it makes it more real for us because then we're suffering for what we believe we're saying this is the real deal this is the real deal and this is making me better first peter 4 peter says listen if you're suffering don't think it's weird first peter 4 12 through 14 beloved Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. So many Christians that have been sold a bill of goods, well, I should say maybe professing Christians, but maybe even Christians get caught up in this sometimes. You get sold this bill of goods by some well-dressed person with a silver tongue telling you, "Jesus Jesus wants you healthy, Jesus wants you wealthy. All the time, period, the end. And then something bad comes into their life, something that they deem as bad comes into their life, and they're just, oh, they're just thrown off the rails. Oh my gosh, life's hard. I'm sad. I'm upset. I'm going to pitch a fit. It's because they have a fickle and frail theology. Therefore, it makes them fickle and frail instead of real and robust. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. What am I supposed to do instead, Peter? Tell me. Tell me, brother. But rejoice 
in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. He does not mean you're sharing in the sufferings that Jesus suffered on the cross where he was absorbing the wrath of God. He does not mean that somehow you're also absorbing the wrath of God. No, no, no. Jesus did that once for all. He's the only one who can do it. He means you're sharing in Christ's sufferings like when he was persecuted for standing up for the truth. Therefore, we share in his sufferings when we are persecuted for the truth. We share in them and we become more like Jesus. Verse 14, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. I've witnessed to a lot of people in the past and in the present. And I can remember in the past going to Five Points in downtown Birmingham. This was when I was in Bible college. Sometimes we would get in groups and go down there and just try to witness to people at night on the weekends. It's a different atmosphere down there. And we would try to witness to people. And I would sometimes think, the worst case scenario, you know, like, what if I'm trying to talk to some guy about the Lord and, and he's a rough character and he's having a bad day and he's looking for somebody to take it out on? And I remember just thinking, you know, what if somebody hurts me? What if, what if, some, what if some guy, when I say to him, no, your biggest problem is that you're a sinner and your sin has separated you from God. That's your biggest problem. And he says to me, excuse me, and then just punches me in the face. You know, I, I, I thought those things or cuts me or something like that. And I would think, you know, Lord willing, I would survive that. But then I would think the next day, what, what if the next day, you know, then I look in the mirror and I see this cut on my face and the black eye. I, I remember thinking how cool that would be. I got this because of Jesus. Like these are Jesus wounds. I, mm, it made me feel good, actually. Like what if I got that? And, I almost kind of hoped it would leave a scar because then I'd always have that scar. How'd you get that scar? I was witnessing to some dude and he punched me in the face and it'd almost be like a badge of honor, right? If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed, he says, because the spirit of glory of God rests upon you. It's a privilege. It's an honor, as it were, for us to suffer for the name that's what the apostles in the book of Acts thought. It says they went away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. I want you to think about your trials as trophies. Christian trials are Christ trophies, okay? Think about your trials as trophies. Christian trials are Christ trophies. And our third point, God's servant will win because God wins. He says to him, at the beginning, you might recall, he said, you've grown weary. God's servant may grow weary. Things may get worse for you as God's servant as well. But this is what we encourage ourselves with. God's servant will win. He says what's going to happen in verse 7 to those who in the past he called but have now forsaken him and now shown that they don't really truly believe on him because they've chosen a life contrary to what he says. And so in verse 7, I've forsaken my house. I've abandoned my heritage. I've given the beloved of my soul into the hands of her enemies. I've been patient, so patient. I've sent warning after warning. I've given word after word. I've given invitation after invitation. And they keep on rejecting. They keep on rejecting and going after the bells and all the false 
false idols and false prophets and believing a lie, they will come under punishment. And he's talking about the nation that's going to come and invade them, the Babylonians. They're going to come and invade. He actually ends this chapter by also saying, but if any nation will not listen, I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. Lest you think, man, that's mean. No, it's not. Just like you don't say when a judge gives a child molester the death penalty, you don't think, that's kind of mean. No, it's not. You think, good, don't you? Because you're supposed to think that. You're supposed to think, good, that evil has been taken out of the world. That's a good thing. Now, we have to be careful because we'll swing over a little too far with that and we'll almost say like, eh, yeah. How about you electrocute them and then let it off for a little bit and then do it again and let it off. Don't do it all at once. Let's just, let's stretch this out for a few hours. You need to understand when you're suffering for the name, when you don't even see justice given out like it's supposed to be. Because we know even the best justice system in this world is still broken. We know that. We want more. Especially us as Christians. Like I said last week, we have a more heightened sense of justice. God's put it there. But even pagans understand justice. Even pagans, if somebody robs from them, they'll take them to court and say, hey, I want my money back that you stole from me. That's the right thing to do. But they get it. But as Christians, we need to understand that God will repay all evil and it will be perfectly measured out. Revelation 19, look at this. God's servant will win because God's going to win. Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. This is the Lord Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems, children, that's crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. This is Jesus Christ. It's a reference to John 1, 1. In fact, this book was written by the same John. John wrote this book as well. And now he's seeing this vision of Jesus. Verse 14. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is the Lord Jesus. It talks about him treading the winepress of the wrath of God. Now, he's wearing a robe earlier. Did you hear that it was dipped in blood? You might be reading that and thinking, yeah, that's, you know, that's his blood. That's, that's the blood of Jesus. That's, that's what we hope in, you know, it's dipped in blood. It's not his blood. Listen to Isaiah 63. You're going to hear a lot of similarities between what I just read and Isaiah 63. 
This will not get preached at a seeker-sensitive church. Who is this who comes from Edom in crimson garments from Basra? Edom, here in the context of this book, represents all the evil nations. Basra was a town in Edom. So it's just the way of saying the same place. And look, he's got crimsoned garments. He who is splendid in his apparel, marching in the greatness of his strength. It is I, speaking in righteousness, mighty to save, he says. Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads the winepress? He answers, I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. Treading out the winepress of God's wrath, Jesus Christ has the blood of his enemies splattered on his clothes. I'm showing you the other side. I'm showing you the scriptures that bolster your faith. Knowing that on the last day, God will right all wrongs. You don't have to worry about carrying out your own vengeance. Yes, sometimes those thoughts taste good to our sinful flesh. We want to carry it out. I get that. But I promise you, on the last day, you'll be totally satisfied with the justice that God carries out on the wicked. And if you're in here this morning, as a Christian, it's because God the Father trampled the Son on your behalf. You would be among that number on this day, but you're not now because of this fierce wrath that God poured out on his Son when I was hearing it thundering earlier when we were singing, it's making me happy. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. It's thundering while we're singing. And it just reminds me of this legions of people, just so many people that are going to be singing in heaven. But then it also made me think about this text that I'm preaching and the rumblings. I don't know if you've ever been caught in a thunderstorm, not inside of a house. You weren't in a house. I mean, you were out somewhere where there was not something really to protect you closely. Maybe it kept the rain off. But if you've ever been in the middle of a thunderstorm, I mean the lightning and the thunder happen at the same time. I don't mean like, oh, there's lightning out there. One, one thousand, two, one thousand. Oh, it's this far away. I don't mean that. I mean, lightning, thunder. It's just like, it is shocking. It is scary. I can even remember even as an adult being caught in this little zinc building once and there was a all around me. My truck was out there. And I was thinking, I'll just, I'll just wait in here. I'll just wait this storm out. Then a few of those thunderclaps hit, and I thought, no, I'm running to that truck. I'm driving out of here. I was scared. And I was already grown. I was in my 20s, but still, it was shocking. And that's just thunder. That's not even the Lord. I was watching a video about whales, and there, there's this whale called the sperm whale, as you know. It's, if you've ever seen Moby Dick or the cover of that book, that type of whale like he is. 
Did you know that they can click? They do this click that can be heard miles away through the water. Did you know that that click is so loud underwater? There was a scuba diver in the presence of one of those whales, and the whale was getting too close to him. And he put out his hand because it was getting close, and the whale started clicking at that moment, shooting the sonar through the water to figure out, what are you? That's just kind of how they test. Like, what are you? They're feelers. The pulse was so strong, it made his hand go numb for four hours. And that's a whale clicking in water. And that's thunder, not the Lord. That's a whale, not the Lord. The day of his vengeance will shake the earth. And what I'm telling you is, God is just, and you can persevere through pain that's caused by unjust men because one day God will take care of them and their sin. Keep persevering through pain, but what you have to have in order to persevere through pain is a real and robust, resolute truth because it'll make you real and robust and resolute in the pain. Father, your word is life and we're grateful for it. I pray that you would help us hold tightly to it. We have to hold tightly to this. This is all that we've got. You are all we've got. And we thank you that your word says that you're holding on to us. We're in the Father's hand and we're in your hand, you said, Lord Jesus. We're doubly held. I pray, give us grace to walk in the truth, to live the truth, to love the truth, and to share the truth lest others that we know and love be among this number on the last day. We don't want that for them, Lord. So help us to share with them and to pray for them. We love you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.